Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. When I was pregnant with my first baby, I knew I would have her in a hospital. I also chose to go through a midwifery group practice because that's what my sister had done. But then I live in a city with lots of resources. I had many things to choose from. Asia Rigney is the president of Maternity Choices Australia. It's an organisation that's all about making sure women can make a conscious choice when it comes to how they have their baby. Hi, Asia. How are you? Yeah, really well. Thanks, Siobhan. Uh, Great to hear that you experienced MGP. I didn't know. (laughs) Oh, well, um, it was a fun, it was a good thing to go through the midwifery group practice. Um, Why is this particular issue so important to you? Do you have a personal connection to the idea of choice around birth? Yeah, absolutely. I do. After having my first in a private hospital with five obstetricians that I was I hired and then fired given that they had no experience in physiological birth. Then for my second, I went out of my way to find um, an obstetrician and a midwife who would support um, home birth because by that time I'd, I'd read a good hundred or so studies um, showing that home birth in fact was the, the safest option for someone like me. So you um, chose a home birth after doing that research and deciding that that was the option for you. Um, Is that option available to most women in Australia? No, absolutely not. So currently we only have about 100 private midwives who do home birth in Australia. Um, For example, I lived in Sydney CBD at the time of my second birth and my midwife turned away 10 women. 10 women last May. Wow. So what, what what would have happened to those 10 women? Would they have gone into a hospital for a birth um, and would they have been happy with that choice? Would they have free birthed? Would they have signed another midwife? Look, we don't know because there is such poor data collection in this area. Um, and, and what is but, free birthing? Because not everyone understands oh, that term, Asia. What is it? So, So free birth is having your baby um, at home without a medical professional um, in attendance. It might be like a lay midwife or a doula or a traditional birth attendant and that's someone who really is just there to provide emotional support rather than, you know, using a Doppler, doing um, fetal heart rates and, and all the medical side of birth. So the, the number in Australia is rising. So currently we're having about half a percent um, of women choosing private midwives at home and we've got 0.3% or so um, having free births. But it's often recorded as born before arrivals because women are having to lie to the hospital to ensure their baby gets a birth certificate. What, when it comes to uh, a home birth, you mentioned there that they might have a midwife, midwife or a, a doula or a or someone who's there just for emotional support, with the um, midwife, are they the only medical pr- practitioner who has the equipment to monitor the heart rate, et cetera, that will go to a woman's home? Are any OBs going to women's homes for um, yeah. births? So Medicare does have a, um, an allowance for uh, GPOs, general 
practitioner obstetricians or obstetricians to come into the home or even um, now that there's the two midwife rule, it's actually not two midwives, the second healthcare provider just needs to be someone like a paramedic or a nurse trained in um, resuscitation for for the, the newborn in case something like that happens. So, um, so that is possible all under Medicare. However, in my experience, no midwife wants um, wants these other professionals coming into the birth space because they just don't have the experience that another midwife who's practicing home births has. So even though policy states you you could, and that would certainly open up the doors for many more rural people who only have one private midwife in their area, um, it's just not the best practice is, is having someone who doesn't understand physiological birth come into the birth space. Did what you, I've learned is it's all about relationship and trust. Yeah, and and you mentioned their regional areas. Um, I have heard that um, some maternity suites are getting closed down in regional areas. So imagine, well, I can't imagine what the choices are for women in regional areas in terms of their birth choices. I mean, home birth is one choice. Actually being able to choose to go to a hospital, surely that's another choice as well. Is that something you guys advocate for as well? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been um, overviewing the um, Queensland Rural Task Force at the moment. Um, I'm sure you've seen in the media, um, Theodore has been shut down without consultation. Um, that's a low-risk birth unit and the the community is, is outraged by the, the impact that that has on their livelihood. You know, it means that families are separated. These women want to have these beautiful natural births. They've got the operating theatre right next door just in case anything happens. But because it can't be staffed, and they've put, by the way, they've put $72,000 of their own money as a community into that hospital. Now they're not even allowed to birth at that hospital, which is their primary choice. Um, being sent three or four hours away to Gladstone Rocky, it's just, um, it's, it's a really sad situation, especially when we think about birthing on country and the Aboriginal people having that connection to the land and their community and where they're from. That actually has such a long-term impact on the mental health of the family and the baby. Um, so honestly, I, I am really disgusted by it situation at the moment, not just with physical outcomes by not giving women their first choice, but mental health, because we now know that suicide is the leading cause of maternal death in Australia. And what you're saying is, um, obviously, having family connection where you have your baby is important, and women in regional areas are being forced to travel in order to have their baby and be away from their family for a while, because I guess you have to travel before you start going into labour. Exactly. Well, some some do and some don't. Some end up having the baby on the side of the road after travelling hundreds of kilometres. And these are dangerous roads as well. They're not just the suburban CBD type roads. Um, but what what's really sad is because they're, they're being forced to go before they're even due, then they're more likely to get lonely, being away from their other kids, the financial impact. So they're more likely to induce request a elective caesarean and of course if that is their first choice absolutely no woman should be denied their choice however they're they're being coerced into these um, medical practices that actually have really long-term implications on on that woman and her baby I knew how I wanted to give birth because of my sister's experience and we're quite similar I knew that 
she had a good experience in the hospital with a midwifery group practice. And so I followed her. Um, I didn't necessarily do much research into what my options were. It just sounded right for me at that time. Is there one place that people can go to learn about how they can give birth once they fall pregnant? Like what are their choices? Oh, look, there there isn't at the moment. And my personal view is that we should be educating people before they fall pregnant because once you pee on that stick, sometimes it's too late to get into your choice, such as a birth centre or an MGP or a private midwife. Um, that, that's, that's really how it is. Sometimes you need to lock it in before you're pregnant if, if you wow. want that midwife and that birth. Um, so we're really setting women and families up to fail, in my opinion. Um, in terms of a resource, um, look, I, I love following the thought leaders in midwifery, such as Hannah Darlin, Dr. Rachel Reed. They're both Australian professors in midwifery, um, and they're both very open with their blogs and their Facebooks and that sort of thing. Um, maternity Choices, I'm really trying to, and my um, communications manager, Kristen, is really trying to um, share really good quality evidence on our Facebook um, so, so that women are able to see, hey, this is actually possible. Like, for example, the amount of obstetricians that I hired who said, no, it's not possible to do delayed cord clamping in the event of a caesarean, whereas my sixth obstetrician who I hired for my home birth, he obviously didn't attend, he just you know, signed off on it um, because of the ridiculous rules around collaboration um, because in Australia it's just very difficult for a midwife to have autonomous practice um, to get Medicare rebates for the woman. Um, so, you know, we have to jump through all these hoops. Um, but he said, yes, you know, precedent has been set at his hospital, that his hospital is one of the leading hospitals in the country, one of the biggest. What about all the other hospitals who just don't have such a skilled surgeon such as himself who is so woman-centered and will just support women's choices left, right and center? What, what, what do we do? How, how do women know that they can even ask for this? And, and you've um, uh, looked at other countries as well. How does... Australia rate in terms of the choices we give women for birth? I would say one of the worst. Um, so I love looking at New Zealand in terms of their funding model. Most, uh, almost, almost half of their births, I believe around 40% are out of hospital um, because women are able to choose whichever care provider they want, whether it's their GP, a midwife or an obstetrician. The issue in New Zealand is midwives are paid incredibly poorly because it's like they're half a private practice midwife but half a government contractor and they can't self-regulate their own wages. I like um, the NHS system, what's happening in the UK, because they have a human right to give birth at home, whereas in Australia we don't have that human rights policy Yet, let's see, you know, Queensland's just got a human rights policy, so I'm hoping a federal one will follow suit soon. So we now have the, the right not to be criminally prosecuted for having a termination of pregnancy. However, and that's on, on the taxpayer's money, however, giving birth at home is not publicly funded in Queensland. Um, and I just, even though I would never choose to birth through a publicly funded home birth program, they can be quite restrictive. 
um, because they want to show, you know, we've got these fantastic stats, you know, they're very conservative to start. And once they start seeing, you know, the demand and the fantastic result, then, of course, they'll expand the program. But, yeah, look, it's just, it's a really sad state of affairs compared to Europe, for example, where, you know, they've got 20% um, home births or, or 90% um, midwife-led care and only 10% obstetric-led care in, in for example, um, uh, Norway or Denmark. I think Norway, um, Hannah Dolan had just been to a conference there and we were able to hear this obstetrician saying, you know, I'm the head of obstetrics and I really don't want to see a low or a medium risk woman. She just feels like she should just support the high risk woman in collaboration with their known midwife. And I love that model. You know, having having the best of both worlds should you need it, um, rather than a random midwife who you don't know at the birth just because you happen to be high risk. You know, the midwife is part of every single model of care in Australia but they just don't have any power or any respect within the system. It's so interesting, and it's interesting as well that um, what you're talking about is choices. So I understand we've been talking a lot about home birth, but you're also talking about choices for women in regional areas. Um, You support the choice to have a caesarean if that's what that woman wants. Um, I really support that idea that we put women first in terms of how they want to do things. Um, Asia, thank you so much for speaking with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for raising the awareness on this issue. Um, if anyone does want to sign our petition on Maternity Choices Australia Facebook page and website, um, I think that would be fantastic because we have had a little bit of movement from Greg Hunt, the um, Minister for Health, and if we can just get that little bit more commitment from him for choices for women, I think then we'll be well on our way to um, change the culture of birthing in Australia. Okay, well, we'll put links up to that in the description of this episode. Um, Asia, thanks again for chatting with us. Have a great day. Bye. That's Asia Rigney. She's the president of the advocacy group Maternity Choices Australia. As I just mentioned, if you'd like more information about them, we'll put links in the description of this episode. Emergency contraception. How much do you know about it? Really, the morning after pill is the most conventional uh, method, and that can be taken up to 72 hours after the episode of intercourse that's been unprotected. Uh, And this is a high dose of a progesterone-only contraceptive. That's Dr Sneha Wadwani. She's on the next episode of Feed, Play, Love. This podcast is produced by Elise Cooper and hosted by me, Siobhan Hunt. (laughs) 